Okay, hello guys, and welcome back to Relevant Founders, brought to you by Relevant Software. Relevant is an international software development company that designs, builds, and delivers world-class standard products for Fortune 500 companies and promising startups. So today, guys, on the show, we've got Santeri, CTO from QAI. Santeri, how are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you, Matthew? Very good, thank you. Very, very good. Right, since before we start, we're at Lips Round. What I want to know is, just in a nutshell, how would you explain Kujo AI? Well, AI, we enable network operators globally to improve the digital life protection of their consumers in and outside of their home by deploying solutions to the consumer and SMB home gateways and also providing app experience for that. Nice. Right. Blitz round. 10 questions. If you know the answer, it's great. If you don't, then no problem. Let's we'll move on to the next one. Okay. So first of all, how did you come up with the company name? How was the company name built? Joe is inspired from the famous Stephen King's novel. It's the dog, it's the protector. So I, I suppose that's where it came from originally. How long did it take the team at Cujo to find the initial funding, do you know? Well, the original inventor of the of the idea and the business, it comes to the friends and partner network, basically. So the initial funding came from, from very close by. Oh. People who have worked together before in earlier startups, that's where it started from but as it happened on the on the first year Kujo went to Indiegogo crowdfunding round and reached 760 percent of its original goal in that funding so some crowdfunding was also used in the very beginning how did you find your first customers well we started from business to consumer offering this cute home smart firewall and that was a 2016 but it was direct to consumers and then, well, today we don't do any of that. We, we kind of, uh, we got name, we won several awards from, from telcos and from analysts, got to World Economy Forum as an innovator member and that captured the attention from the network service providers that actually wanted to have similar capabilities in their the routers that they ship with their connections. Mm. And then we transition to what we do today. What is the biggest lesson you have learned from working at QJ AI so far? Well, I'm a CTO coming from the kind of technology side of things, but I think the biggest lesson is not there. I think the biggest lesson is that startups, they need to have the importance of storytelling. So every startup, they nearly need like that, you know, spin doctor on its transition point of the journey where the story is really well suited for, for the audience and, and for the problem. Why is now of all times the time QJ AI to exist? Well, there's huge growth of devices at consumer homes, over 20 devices in an average US household. Mm. And this growth of IoT devices, computer for every everything from a from a doorbell to a fridge so that's that's one part of it our homes start looking like the smb networks early 2000 and when you look at the number of devices number of linux boxes running in your home and then the still growing cybersecurity problem and the attention that the cyber criminals have paid attention to what we have at homes it needs to be protected so endpoint protection covers only only so much and leaves so much fertile ground for for maldoing in our home and this kind of onion model of protection is which we have seen in enterprises is now finally reaching our homes the network needs to be also protected
Tell me, so you said, okay, so up to or around average 20 uh, devices in a household now. And it's over, over 20. Over 20. Wow. Amazing. I mean, I wouldn't even think that, if I'm honest. What would you be doing now if you weren't in the, this position at QGI AI? Do you still be working in tech? Would you be doing the same kind of thing elsewhere, do you think? Absolutely. Well, personally, I've been on the, on the cybersecurity for my whole, whole career, mm-hmm. probably steering and building some other startup company from, from the first invention to growth. How big is your team right now? How big is your team? It's about, depends uh, how we count, 170 people in the company. 100. Uh, 170. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Describe your journey so far. The last, I, I believe you started at QJ in 2018, if I'm correct. Describe, describe your journey since then in, it, well, as little as one word as possible. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned earlier that. It's a bit of a roller coaster, but I think this is more like a moonshot. Mm-hmm. Well, there have been, of course, ups and downs, but uh, it's, it's been going nicely. Yes. Okay. And describe this year in one year. COVID has gone, well, it's still around, but at least we're adapting to it a lot more now. Describe this year, Kujo. Well, it's absolutely nice to see people again, of course. But from the where the company stands, I think, this is the year of pragmatic <laughs> would be probably the right word. We kind of are already seven years old. We're already seven years in business since, since the start. We're getting sober, more down to the earth, practical. I think a lot of the cleanup is done, startup phase and different phases, which we have gone through at least, I would say, four different phases, leave quite a bit of things to, to handle. I think it's getting down to the earth. So if I, if I think about it, uh, 2015, the startup was born 2016, like a bit over 12 months after that, we released the first product and 2018, we released a kind of a plan and the first POC for, for network service providers Mm. got it live, kind of one and a half years later in, in massive production with one of the biggest Western world carriers. And, and after that, we have been scaling, scaling the platform. So we have like about 50 million homes using the solution now, and, and we have been adapting the solution all the way. So, so we kind of see that the company has got, now we're on the fourth phase as a company already, and Mm -hmm. we've done a kind of a one bigger pivot, which is going from consumers to the network service providers. So yeah, I think it's a year of pragmatism and, uh, and also getting down to the practical. When you go from consumer, direct consumer business as a startup to, to sell the world's largest network service providers, the demands of the customer change quite a bit. We're suddenly forced to comply to standards like ISO 9001, 27001, business continuity, SOC 2 type 2, and these standards kind of force the company to, from within, change quite a bit because they are, of course, also audited by, by the standard, by the, by the different organizations that audit the standards and they kind of have to come real from every layer of the company. Well, it started gradually when we started approaching network service providers, uh, 2018, mm-hmm. and I've been here for, for, for that whole time working also with them before for more than a, more than a decade in the ISP and network service provider. Mm-hmm. It happens gradually. You start contracting with network service providers. They have, uh, they have a rather strict 
requirements for their suppliers, which you need to comply to before you go to production or mm. with any of the services. So I think uh, it's been for them and the grow and the demands grow. We started from the US based carriers and now we are working with the European based carriers coming Europe, all the GDPR things yes. you have to, you have to be compliant with and, uh, and the requirements just grow year by year when you, when you, when you are kind of growing in that space, uh, different network service providers have a different set of requirements and it's just easier for us to, to actually standardize from within and provide certificates then to go to audits with every single one of them. Tell me, let's have a look a little bit more into the challenges which you faced. Yeah. So obviously you're speaking, I spoke about the challenges of obviously adapting to the situation, the technological, uh, technological changes to the kind of how quick you were advancing as well. But tell me off the top of your head, what has been the biggest tech challenge which you faced since being there? When you launch a service and you have a live customer and you have gone out with a, with a version of the service that is not yet perfect for, 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 for the next step of scale or, or product advertisement, you, you are kind of in a situation that you actually, you have got the, your runaway is over, you are up in the air and you're kind of operating at 747 and you have mm -hmm. to fix it while you're flying, which means that you have all the time the production and, and you have the load, and then you need to do big changes in the, in the architecture. That's probably the most laborsome challenge there because then you need to cover all the corners. If, if the upgrade doesn't go right, you need to change the data models. You need to migrate. Migration is always a swear word in engineering, migrating data or, or data models. That's, that's probably been the biggest challenge that we have faced because we've been all the time working against clock because we, we have seen a nice growth. Uh, so I think the learning from there would be like, yeah, build it for, for, for scale very early on. In our case, we were lucky the scale came on early from business perspective, but of course for engineering, it puts a different challenge. The other challenge is, of course, when it comes to AI and machine learning, it's not kind of a one trick pony, it's not like a sledgehammer, throw AI on it and it resolves everything. Not at all. It's, it's always the, like the false positives and negatives problem. It doesn't matter if we're trying to detect the device or malicious website or, or malicious behavior on a device, you, you have always that noise that is is not accurate and when you are at scale even though you have a less than a percentage of a problem it it it, it presents tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of of cases out there so you need to get accurate so that's probably the second second biggest thing how, how you get to the desired accuracy uh, at scale Tell me a little bit about what is AI governance and how it's been utilized at QGAI. Yeah, we'll be working on that. Been also part of the World Economy Forum where we have been defining the governance. First of all, in our productions, we we have quite a bit of quite a bit of data. First of all, we we have a clear segregation of who, who first of all can access production and how we how we run the algorithms in production, mm -hmm. and and then we have our research part where we when we have data at research, it's, it's actually 
normalized. We don't know whose whose data we're, we're actually processing when we're when we're working on the research side in in our environments. So we're, we're governed by by the segregation of our network service providers, which mm -hmm. which have to follow national laws and and so forth. So that's one piece. Then we do have a steering groups, a bit of a bureaucracy there, of course, but we have architecture steering, which actually decides what are we going to apply AI for. So we know what our data scientists, data engineers are, are working on. Yeah. And then, of course, I think the ISO standard 27001 or GDPR, which is kind of derivative of that, who has access to what and why and who approved it. And when we're complying to that, we know who's actually entitled to do what. So, uh, so there is a kind of an intersectional combination of, of compliance and, and technical governance that, that brings, I, I think, we can be pretty transparent on how we're doing things here. And so earlier you spoke about AIT, sorry, IoT, and you gave a little brief description of what IoT is. Our, our podcast has from engineers to founders to CEOs, all different listeners. Tell me a quick Real, real quick brief of what is IoT, just for our listeners, so they can all understand if they don't. And also, what threats is AI, A, sorry, IoT proposing in the future? Yeah, like Internet of Things. Well, we, we consider Internet of Things anything that is not a device that a human being uses directly mm -hmm. with a user interface. Or not a phone, not a tablet, not a PC, not running a browser. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's it's any device that sits there on its own and does something for you, or a device that has now today has a computer running it. it used to do things for you, but now it's capable of talking to you through through the internet, like your washing machine, which is a kind of a silly use case. I have a washing machine that has. <laughs> And an IoT device running on it. Never yeah, used no. it though. <laughs> I know when it's it's done, it beeps, and I, I have to go there to empty it anyway. But there are they, they, they are put to many many places. So uh, webcams, doorbells, any 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 media device, any 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 appliance that you have at home that runs computer on it to be able to talk. Even if we do consider printers and, and TVs to certain extent to IoT devices, even though we have a, we have a very granular classification of device families, types, mm -hmm. and so forth. We, we do detect in live production in, in the US, it's more than 25,000 different device series that we see across nearly 50 million homes. Wow, huge, huge number. Okay. But what kind of what kind of threats are they proposing? Okay, so we've got the obvious ones, which if you've got a camera or a webcam or something, people are hacking into these kind of systems. But what are the main issues that you're concerned about, Hugo? And what do you foresee as well? Do you foresee this becoming even more happening even more basically in the future? You can approach it from a couple of directions. It's so a botnet and a attack, attacker like botnet is a good example of it. If you can, the bigger the botnet, uh, the more dangerous it is. What botnets are used for uh, multiple phases in that, basically taking down a site or, or, or acting as a download point for malware so that the protection technology doesn't detect it or as a stepping stone in an attack or yeah. uh, multiple, multiple use cases for, for owning a computer resource for doing something bad. And now suddenly we have so many of them and that's one. <laughs> 
side of it. The other side of it is, yeah, it's your it's your baby monitor. Somebody else is watching it, mm. <laughs> or, or 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 it's your heat pump controller. Somebody can turn it off, or it's it's your it's your sauna controller. Somebody can turn it on and mm. do something bad. But that, I think what it what they are primarily used for now is the, the botnet owners. They want more devices to their botnet, so they become more powerful and they they sell them. They sell that compute resource for for somebody else that wants to do bad, and that's the whole ecosystem and the business model on the on the bad side of things, on the bad side of the business. So more devices that can be tapped on, and why? Why is why why can they be tapped? Like IoT devices come to the market, they are launched very quickly. There's a fierce competition on on all sectors, and they are released as soon as the main use cases are resolved. The large the big companies that are kind of the big names, they they do, they have a internal processes and governances to to make sure that they they launch devices that are are with a good quality from the operating system upwards. Smaller companies, not necessarily so. So there are a lot of vulnerabilities to be exploited. And then, as a consumer, as we're lazy, if you don't have automatically updating IoT device, vulnerabilities come out and people don't update them. Mm-hmm. They don't necessarily even get a notice that they need to update them. And they they are lazy. They don't update that them. Uh, so we have a lot of vulnerable computers out there. Yeah. And we know that we are vulnerable. We're also kind of lazy on updating our devices, those that we use daily basis, like iPhones, Androids. Windows, but Microsoft, Google, Apple have resolved this problem very nicely. They push those updates automatically. Mm-hmm. For the last decade, we've been enjoying up-to-date attended devices, but only proportion of the IoT devices can be claim can claim the same. And so thus, it's a fertile ground and a and a good target and good source for compute resources. Obviously, we're talking about the say. I use the word hackers, yeah, hackers that are jumping into these systems, stealing the information or stealing or basically listening to the baby monitor or whatever. With the advances of technology, do you think, say, companies like Cujo AI will be able to get so far ahead that hackers will no longer be able to do it? Or is it kind of in tandem? If technology advances, both will also advance. So the challenge will always be there. Well, I've been... I've been in the the business for nearly 30 years on cyber security from the first antivirus products when they started coming out on PCs. It's been an arms race ever since late 90s. We talked about mobile threats, late 2000, they started becoming real. Now I think Android from all the attended platforms is the the biggest target or is used most for that because it has it's the weakest so the threat moves so it's always the lowest where the bar is lowest and the number of devices or so so there's the if you are on the kind of a dark side of the fence you always try to find the easiest biggest crowd mm. easiest to target biggest crowd and it tends to move uh even though and and then it changes its form. Like we have seen the development of operating system, like Windows is a good example from Windows 3.11 to, to what we have now. They have hardened it extremely well 
in comparatives to what we had like 20, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's actually not that easily targeted anymore. And that, thus, that, uh, it's, it's easier to, <laughs> to attack IoT devices nowadays. Apple locked their ecosystem from the day one. Everybody was complaining, very wise thing to do <laughs> from security perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, so, so they haven't been suffering so much for, for this. And, uh, and then, of course, human is the weakest link. Phishing still works like a charm. People still go and click and give their information out. Mm. If, like you need that protection there and, and, that, and then the techniques change all the time. And then when you have like a huge number of compute resources that you can tap on as, a, as, a, as an attacker, we, are, we have to identify whether this site is a phishing site, but the site might be running in somebody's home. We indeed need to identify it's a phishing site. It's like, is this IP bad? You can't just follow that because the number of IP addresses, the whole IPv4 space is already saturated. All, all IPs are sold. There's so many that, that it's, it's hard to get the first, first person using the site before you have even seen what's going on in that IP or, or domain. So it needs to be really looking into the, looking into the pattern itself. So, so it's the, it's the volume of things that makes these things still work mm -hmm. and every time we develop a cure there's a new technique or tactic yeah that has been developed mm -hmm. because it's a big business also to the cyber criminal side it's it's a massive business have you seen that with the tech that's been developing then have you seen that the business cyber crime side has got even bigger is it only going to get bigger over the years as technology or will it because as you're saying like what you're doing at AI and other companies because they get so far ahead will it kind of window off uh, no well it's an arms race as i mentioned so that's that's why we are here it's been a it's, it's been a good business to be on to be <laughs> to be honest because there's all the time work to do but on the kind of cyber crime side it's like on when you're building software you have supply chain you buy components so you have open source you have different companies doing different things for you as a as a software or product supplier you have a supply chain this has over the last two decades also kind of grown as a model on the cyber criminal side you have a you have different players who are providing different pieces of of that supply chain. You can buy many things. You can buy you can buy specific malware for specific device type. You can you can buy botnet. You can you can buy credentials. The black market is there. There are companies that are just developing ecosystems for software stacks for for attacking. Some of them are connected or might have been born from governmental interests and then because of because of some motivation or leak the the the, the, the technology leaks and, and then it's, you can find it from used on a non non-governmental interests so yeah let's remember that the techniques that cyber criminals use are also used by kind of a governmental players like a military like well it's not just russia it's not just china it's 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 also the western world it's a surveillance okay if we're at 20 at the moment do you see in the future is there going to be 40 50 is it just going to keep on growing or is there a limit of how many you can actually have in a house 
think the limit is the number of devices that you plug to electricity socket. <laughs> so how many sockets you've got in your house? No, the number of sockets you have plugged on. <laughs> I think that's the limit because light bulbs have Zigbee's now. Uh, and the, like it's always like, okay, if it costs now 20 bucks and five years from now it costs five bucks, do you care anymore? You take the device which has, has that connectivity and it, it might have uh, costed 100 and now it's 20. So it's affordable. It's, it's better to buy that than something that was... Uh, and, and and everything is kind of constantly changing. So yeah, and we want the, we want to control everything from an app, right? Anyway, nowadays, if there's no app, it's kind of a old fashioned thing, and and that's that's what the youngsters are used to. So and they don't shy away from that. Hey guys, it's me again. If you enjoyed this episode of the show, be sure to press the thumbs up button below, and also while you're there, hit subscribe. Otherwise, you could miss out on all of our interesting content we've got coming your way in the near future. Okay, guys, take care and see you soon.